everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. We're in a new series here called Love Like Jesus, and I think uh, it's going to be a really great series. I'm excited for it. The thing to think about, though, is I think we're going to talk less about what we all need to do and focus more on the way that Jesus loves. So the focus isn't going to be on like, oh, great, now I have 10 more things to do so that God will like me or so that people will like me or, or anything like that. This isn't self-help. It's not self-improvement even. We're going to be focusing on the ways that Jesus loves. So uh, if you were on Facebook this morning or last night, you noticed I, I put up a little reminder to come early. A wizard is never late because he doesn't want to miss the big church announcements. Uh, so I just want to kind of ask you guys how you feel about big announcements. I imagine that there's kind of a spread of emotion. Like some of you are like, oh boy, oh boy, what's it going to be? And some of you are like, oh no, what now? Right? And it's okay. Uh, you remember about 10 months ago, Bob, our former lead pastor, came up and said, I have two big announcements. He said, first of all, the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. That was significant because it was December, and the Super Bowl is not until February. Do you remember that? So when sometimes we hear an announcement, we think, yeah, right, like there's some skepticism. Is this really true? I didn't believe Bob when he said it, because <laughs> they had to still play the Vikings, and they looked really good, but we took care of business with the Vikings, didn't we? Eagles fans, and we have a Super Bowl ring, so I lacked faith in that situation. Uh, and then he also said, you know, I'm going to retire early in 10 months, and Amos and Allison are going to be taking over leadership of the church. And so sometimes when we hear announcements, there's maybe some grief, because when things change, there are certain things that maybe we loved, like Bob, who isn't going to be here for a couple of months, but is going to return uh, and be part of this community later. But, you know, you, some of you are going to miss him as your pastor. So it's okay when you hear announcements to grieve. So just, uh, I have two big announcements today, and the first one I'm going to say right now, and the second one I'm going to hold off a little bit. But to share the first announcement, I'm going to do a little Mr. Rogers change. <laughs> <clears throat> Alice and I are expecting a baby in April. She's 14 weeks pregnant and has been hiding it from most of you, although last week I guess someone saw the saltines in her purse. But uh, we, we just were able to share with our families over the last two weeks, and so now we're very excited to share with you. Uh, my grandma is actually here from Iowa, and I showed her this shirt last night, and she said, Pah, <laughs> you're not making the baby. She is. <laughs> and she pointed at Allison. Uh, you know, I, I applaud all of you who have had children and are still married. I, that's... It's really, it's really something. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thing, you know, as, as I've been praying for this baby, uh, something actually really cool happened uh, the first time that I prayed for the baby. I felt this buzz 
and my hand, which is something that sometimes I feel when the Holy Spirit comes, and I know some of you have experienced that too. Uh, and, and that led to us nicknaming this baby Buzz. Uh, but, but as I've been praying for Buzz, uh, I've realized that this is a really vulnerable thing. Like if you've had children, if you've been pregnant, if you've been married to someone that's pregnant, you have virtually no control. And as you kind of do soul searching and you, you feel like, what am I going to ask God for? You know, first you think like, I want this God, make him or her a lawyer or an astronaut you know, or, or, you know, really smart or really athletic or really this or really that. And then you kind of come to this place of surrender of like, God, just make it healthy. And uh, even if it has disease or even if it has you know, cognitive impair uh, impairments, just like, please give us a living thing. Um, and that, that isn't, wasn't my first reaction, but it's a place that God took me. And it's a, it's a place of surrender, and it's a scary place. Um, and as I was driving to a church earlier this week uh, down Dowland Forge, I started to pray for the church. And as Allison and I are transitioning uh, into co-leadership, it's like, wow, what do we want for this church? And you think, you know, man, it'd be great if it was big, and it'd be great if we baptized, you know, 25 people a year or 100 people a year. And you, you, you give those things to God one at a time, and the prayer that I was left with was, God, make us a conduit of your grace. Another way of saying that is, like, let us show the kind of love and compassion to people the way that you do so that they might catch a glimpse of just how loving and gracious you are. And that, I think, is really the definition of health for us. And, I, you know, it'd be great if we continued to grow, and I want to baptize people uh, that's been part of the history of this church, and it's going to be part of the future of this church. But to be in a place of surrender and just say, God, whatever you want to do with us, do it. Do it in us. Do it through us. Uh, and, and I hope that you just join me in that, of being conduits of grace for people. So the, the next big announcement is still coming, but I want to open up to Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. Uh, a little bit of context of Matthew chapter 5 before I get to the announcement. Uh, this is little, really, three verses as part of a much bigger section of Jesus' teaching. In fact, this is maybe uh, considered the core of Jesus' teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says some things like that are pretty cool in the Sermon on the Mount, like love your enemies, right? And don't be anxious. We like it when Jesus says stuff like this. But then he also says some things that are really shocking and kind of mess with you. Like, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. Like, that's crazy. Or if you have hateful thoughts towards someone, that's as bad as murder. Like, how could we possibly live up to these standards? Uh, there's there's like not enough good in us to do all the things that Jesus said, it feels like. And for some people, they do read it that way. They read it as this code where if you want God to show you love or accept you, you have to follow all these rules. But I think the Sermon on the Mount is something very, very different from that. I think we've missed Jesus in his own teaching. If we read the Sermon on the Mount and see a list of behaviors that we must follow, in order to be loved. 
I think instead what Jesus is showing us uh, in the Sermon on the Mount is he's giving us a window or he's painting us a picture of what his kingdom looks like. He's saying, imagine a world without worry. Imagine a place where you don't have to have this battle in your mind of objectifying women or men. Imagine a place where relationships are whole. Imagine a place of beauty and peace, not just out there, but in here. And so I think as Jesus makes this big announcement, he's actually showing us what his kingdom looks like. Uh, And the other thing, uh, so we want to do is realize who Jesus is talking to. So if you're in Matthew 5, back up just a couple of verses to Matthew 4, verse 23. So this will help us understand. Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, right? We just talked about that, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Okay, let's just pause right there. Remember how I was talking about the kingdom of God? Some people think of the kingdom of God as something that's coming. In fact, Jesus uses other words for the kingdom of God, like uh, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, or eternal life. People think eternal life is that thing that happens when you die. But I don't think that's the whole picture. Yeah, it's coming, but it's also here because in some places the kingdom of God is described as a place where people are healed and good news is proclaimed to the poor. And what does it say right here? Where Jesus goes, there is his kingdom already, right now, accessible to you and for you. So, Jesus is healing people. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Verse 24, And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all that were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So large crowds from both Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Okay, so we have a crowd of people. And you find out where they're from, and that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot to us. But if you know a little bit about the time and place, you know that Judea and Jerusalem are very, very religious places. People who grew up in these places knew God's word. They know that they uh, want to please him, and they have set up all these rules to kind of protect their behavior. Uh, so that they're, you know, they're like really good, upstanding, moral citizens. You know, they're patriotic, and they go to church, and they go to synagogue. And so they're, they're like that in crowd, right? They think they have it in with God. But spread among this crowd are people from the Decapolis cities. The Decapolis cities is very, very not Jewish. In fact, the Decapolis cities, which means in Greek, the ten cities were built by Alexander the Great. You remember who he is from, like, ancient history, he conquered the world and wanted to spread the Greek uh, ideals and values across his empire. And so he builds these ten cities, and each one of these ten cities has like a temple to pagan gods. So these people are worshiping false gods and living immoral lives, and they're, they're mixed in with this crowd. So you've got people who have been warned about those people all mixed together. And more than that, you hear that these people who were demon-possessed and paralyzed and sick 
well, at least until recently, have joined up too. And, you know, demon possession can look all sorts of ways, but, I mean, one of the ways that probably makes most sense to us is those people who are so mentally unstable that they, they can't function. And remember, in those days, they're unmedicated. And even today, like, if, if you're in that state uh, where you're not able to function, you're probably not employed. So your, your clothes probably aren't very nice, and, and maybe you even smell bad, right? All this, this big mishmash of people. Okay, so, so imagine. Even just imagine what they're wearing, right? You have button-up shirt and tie and Under Armour uh, and people wearing Make America Great Again caps, standing beside people who are wearing Me Too t-shirts and rainbow pants and, uh, and Harley-Davidson vests. In other words, you kind of, it's like the vineyard just showed up. <laughs> There's a couple Eagles jerseys thrown in there, too, for good measure. Right? So people from, this is a, div, a diverse crowd. It's economically diverse. It's spiritually diverse. It's diverse in every way you can imagine, all coming to sit at Jesus' feet and hear what he says. So in uh, Matthew 5, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw this crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he makes this incredible announcement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a huge announcement. It's heavy. It's weighty. It's going to change everyone's life who's in the crowd. And so to match that kind of weighty uh, announcement, I've got a little video here from Kung Fu Panda that's going to help illustrate just what Jesus is doing here. So enjoy. Everybody is shocked at this announcement. The panda is shocked. The crowd is shocked, just as when Jesus makes his announcement, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because Jesus is blessing people whom you would not expect. Jesus is saying the favor of God now is being poured out on people who do not deserve the favor of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Even the people who are poor in spirit cannot believe it, that Jesus would bless them of all people. Like the panda who can't even get in to the arena, let alone compete in the arena. He's got nothing to offer, it seems. Uh, but, but just as, we were talking about this in the newcomer's lunch a couple of weeks ago, God uh, acts on this principle of grace. And grace is pure, undeserved gift. And for us, it's not just love that means we're accepted. It's, it's a calling. It's a, it's a declaration that you are worthy and I have called you into something bigger than yourself. I guess we're all dragon warriors is what I'm trying to say. 
But, but like, look, look at this short phrase and just understand how incredible it is. We'll start with the words poor in spirit. You have to understand, this is a negative word. This is a negative phrase. Some Christians have turned this into a moral imperative, a command to be more poor in spirit. But poor in spirit is not something any of us want to be. You want to translate this into modern-day English. Poor in spirit means loser. Nobody, you don't want to be losers. Jesus is saying, blessed are the losers. How can this be? How could this possibly be true? Uh, to, to use Dallas Willard, I know some of you know who he is and have a ton of respect for him. Some of you have never heard of him. That's okay, too. Uh, he says, to define this word poor in spirit, they are the bankrupt, the pathetic, the lame, the out of it, those without a trace of good, the morally empty. So to be poor in spirit is really to be spiritually and morally bankrupt. You have nothing... There's not this high ground that you stand on in order to earn God's blessing. Jesus is making an announcement here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's look at that word blessed for just a second. I'm not going to get into the Hebrew and Greek words there so much, but just know that when the word bless is used, uh, there's, there's basically two different words that get translated into our one word bless. I think I talked about this about a year ago. But one of the words is the word that you usually think of uh, when you think of blessing. That's like when God blesses Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful, or when Abraham blesses Isaac and, and you know, imparts all these like good things, like I'm, I'm giving you something. This other blessing, though, that Jesus is using in this context is really more about like happiness or like the, the fullness of, uh, to go back to Dallas Willard, he says, this is the highest type of well-being possible for human beings. This, this really makes no sense for Jesus to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. You remember those Life is Good t-shirts? I know some of you own them, right? Like, life is good for the poor in spirit? What? <laughs> it's, it's contradictory. It, it's crazy. It's crazy unless Jesus is making an announcement, like news that's too good to be true. Dale Bruner, who's another theologian, says it this way, like the, the, the essence of this phrase is the divine I am with you. The divine I am on your side. God is saying, spiritually bankrupt people, all you all, I am on your side. Jesus blesses the crowd. Blessed are you if you have been unfaithful to your wife. Blessed are you if you've looked at porn this week. I have not abandoned you. I am with you. The kingdom of God is for you. Blessed are you. If you're in this room and you've had an abortion, Jesus is saying the blessing is for you. I am for you. The kingdom, it's available. I want you to have it. Blessed are you if you have been sexually abused 
And because of that, there's this shame and a fear so that you blame yourself and every decision you make has somehow been warped because you are a victim. There is this unbelievable wealth of blessing that Jesus is saying, it's yours because you're empty and I want to fill you. And to those of you who have been perpetrators of sexual abuse or harassment or worse, God's blessing is available to you as well. That's how this must work. Like the truly spiritually bankrupt, the people who have really, 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 really messed up, there's good news. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God is on your side. The kingdom of heaven is for you. This is radical. This is the sort of thing that, that is a paradigm shift. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Like when, when they discover something in science, like uh, gravity or like uh, Einstein's theory of relativity, there's there's a new information, there's a piece of new information that means now we have to reevaluate everything through a new light. It's like the whole world has been turned upside down. People thought you had to earn God's favor, and Jesus said, no, blessed are you who have nothing to give, who are spiritually broke. Blessed are those for whom there is no reason for them to be blessed. It's counterintuitive, guys. Uh, I know some of you know how to water ski, and I'm not one of you. But water skiing is kind of the same way. Uh, so someone tried to teach me to water ski once, and what do they say, say, right? They say, let the boat pull you. Which makes no sense. Like, of course, the boat's pulling me. But, but they say, you know, if you want to stand up on the water, what you really have to do is try to not stand up on the water. Uh, if you want to go forward, you've got to lean back. And uh, some of you have had that aha moment. And you can, you can tell if you're the one teaching, like, oh, yeah, now they've got it because they can get up on the water skis. I just do that thing where, you know, the, the boat pulls me forward. Right? I let the boat pull me, and I'm getting a face full of water, right? But if you've learned how to water ski, suddenly it just makes perfect sense. What, what the people in the boat are saying suddenly is, is like, yeah, of course. I get it now. This is the sort of announcement. This is the sort of grace that is so radical that it will change the paradigm of how you read the Bible and of how you view people. It's going gonna, it's gonna to squeeze the judgment right out of you. When you realize that to love like Jesus is this radical, surprising, and shocking love. Now, there's, there's probably like at least two groups of people in this room, right? One group is saying like, oh, thank God, this is great. This is wonderful news. God's love is big enough for even me. Even me. And there are some of you who are maybe thinking, this doesn't sound quite 
right. This isn't fair. You don't understand. I've worked really hard to be where I am. Like, I've been going to church for 25 years, and I used to smoke and drink and swear, you know, all those things that the Bible doesn't really talk about, but I stopped doing those things. <laughs> right? It makes me feel superior, right? Uh, you know, I, I haven't really screwed up for a long time. I'm doing fine. I've worked hard. And God's blessing is really for good people, right? You know the saying, God helps those who help themselves. That is the opposite of this. And if you think that, you're not poor in spirit. You are rich in spirit. And the only thing that Jesus is wanting to say to you is, wake up. Open your eyes. Your pride has blinded you, and you have forgotten that apart from Jesus, we are all spiritually bankrupt. You have forgotten the overwhelming, incredible, shocking grace of God. You've forgotten how big his love is because your love has become small. And he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to come into a place of self-awareness. He wants to bless you too. And that's very, that's tough. Like, I'm a prideful person. Uh, I'm wearing socks right now, actually. That on the right foot, there's a little R. I'm supposed to put the, the right, the sock that says R on my right foot. And on my left foot, there's a sock that says L. And this week I thought, man, I'm amazing at putting socks on. I like always get it right, you know, without looking. I just put my socks on. I'm like, oh, look, there are is on the right. But I think I'm really only shooting about 50%. You know, but like, it's so stupid. But like, I've over-exaggerated. I've over-overvalued. I think I'm great (laughs) at putting on socks. Is that ridiculous? It is right but we all, we all measure ourselves by our standard, and so our behavior becomes the behavior. That's not how God operates. God doesn't love you because you're so beautiful. God loves you in order to make you beautiful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the losers. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. My friends, don't lose sight of the incredible, shocking, unbelievably true magnitude of God's love and of his grace. To love like Jesus, we must understand what Jesus' love is like. I've got a second video here for you, if you could just start it. It's, uh, it's from a movie called History of Violence, and I don't necessarily recommend you watch the movie. It's a dark f- uh, film strip because it's a very dark movie. There's a man named Tom who, at the beginning of the movie, seems to be living this normal life, but you realize he has this past of killing and murder, and his past becomes his present when he has to go out and basically kill everybody who knows who he was. So here he is coming home to his family, his wife, his son, and his daughter. 
they've been without him for a while. They've understood now who he is. And he's coming in having literally just washed blood from his hands. His own brother wanted him dead, and so he had to kill his brother. And he walks in now spiritually bankrupt. There's no reason his family should accept him back. He's lied to them. He's betrayed them. But he has nowhere else to go. And the question of this scene is, will his family proclaim blessing or will they curse him? Will they send him away? Is there a place for Tom at this table? And so the little girl goes and gets a plate that has been set for him. And he can barely believe it. Could it really be true? I'm a murderer. I'm a liar. I've screwed up as bad as you can screw up. The sun will lead the way. Blessed are the murderers. Blessed are the liars. Blessed are the cheaters. Blessed are those who rage. Blessed are those who are filled with envy. Blessed are the adulterers. Blessed are those for whom there is no reason that they should be blessed. And she communicates something in her tears that says, yes, I will proclaim good news to you. And there's a look in his eye that says, could this even be true? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread, and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And he took a cup of wine, and he held it up, and he said, and this is my blood shed for you. It's not because you have earned it. It is not because of your goodness. It is not because you have loved so well. It is because of my great, shocking, unbelievable love for you. Some of you are wondering, is there a place at Jesus' table for even me? I've screwed up this week. I've done things that I would be ashamed to say in public. Even to my friends, even to my spouse, I wouldn't want them to know. 
And Jesus' word to you is, Come. Come, all who are weary. Come, who are thirsty. Come and eat and drink the kind of bread that will truly satisfy. There's another place where Jesus says, I am that bread. Come and drink the only drink that will satisfy the thirst that you have, that you haven't been able to quench through searching in every other arena of life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Anyone who comes and connects to me, they will really be alive. And so I invite you to stand. As you can see, there are people here at the front and in the back who will be serving communion. You're welcome to take it as you receive it, uh, to eat and to drink, or you can take it back to your seats and uh, eat and drink in your own time. But understand that this is an expression of Jesus' big announcement. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The big announcement today is not that Amos and Allison are having a baby. The bigger announcement is God's great love for you. And so come and take and eat and drink and remember and believe. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.